Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is February 1st, 2023, and I am your skeptical host, Ken Milne. The title of today's podcast is, Is It Time for a Cool Change? Hypothermia after in-hospital cardiac arrest. And once again, I have proven, just because I can't sing, doesn't mean I won't sing. And our guest skeptic is Dr. Justin Morgenstern. He's an emergency physician and creator of the FOMED project called First 10 EM. Welcome back to the SGM, Justin. Pleasure to be here. Taking a little time to talk nerdy with you is always a highlight of the week. Well, we're, we're squeezing this episode in before a super duper conference that we're both participating in later this week. Yeah, I think unfortunately by the time this podcast goes live, it'll be too late to attend live, but I think this will be recorded and uh, it looks like Anton has put together an incredible conference, this EM Cases uh, Summit. So my guess is people would still be able to get the uh, recorded version if they're interested. I think you're going to like my talk, uh, Ken, even though I think it's going to be very controversial. We're going to take a critical look at how we use decision rules or tools. And the title of the talk is decision, we'll call it tools for you. Decision tools are ruining medicine. Oh, very interesting. And I and I noticed that you have a claim to fame because Anton put out this wonderful poster with all the faculty. And I mean, we're talking like some pretty amazing people, but I noticed your position on the poster was interesting. The only time in my entire life where I get to be directly above Scott Weingart. It's pretty good. And I, I have to assume, and I'm going to talk to Scott next time, but I assume that this is in position of importance because directly above. It feels, feels real good, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> All right. Well, I know when this comes out, we'll have both said, yeah, we had a great time at the conference. I'm chairing a rural um, section on this, which I think is really important for this summit to address rural and how we address uh, emergency medicine cases perhaps differently in rural settings. And also I'm, I'm doing a repeat of my 10 papers in 10 minutes. Go. Oh yeah. Very good for, you know, the emergency medicine mindset, which is like, just tell me what the paper says, Ken. Come on, quickly. I mean, even a minute of paper seems maybe a little bit long, but <laughs> I have to have some critical appraisal in there. All right. Well, let's get on with this case. Uh, what do you got for us today? So you're working an overnight shift at a small rural hospital. Uh, again, you're tidying up things in the anticipation of the arrival of the day shift when a code blue is called. It's a 50-year-old man who you admitted to hospital last night with a non-ST elevation myocardial infarction, and unfortunately this morning at rounds was found unconscious and without a pulse. The incredible bedside nurse started CPR immediately and had the defib pads placed before you even got to the room. The patient is in VFib, and you achieve ROSC, or return of spontaneous circulation, on the second shock. Unfortunately, the patient is still unconscious. The post-arrest ECG doesn't show us any signs of STEMI, and it, luckily at this point, the day shift wa the doc walks into the room and is going to take over, but has a question for you. He says, I can't keep up with all the evidence. Are we supposed to be starting hypothermia on this patient? Well, that's a good question because, and I'll put this in, you know, quotes, therapeutic hypothermia took the critical world by storm over 20 years ago. Back in 2002, there was simultaneous publications of two randomized control trials in the same issue of the New England Journal of Medicine. There was the hypothermia after cardiac arrest or HACA study and the Bernard study. 
So as a brief recap, the HACA study randomized 275 comatose adult patients with ROSC after a witnessed cardiac arrest with a shockable rhythm of presumed cardiac origin and a short downtime. The hypothermia group was cooled using an external device to a target temperature between 32 and 34 degrees Celsius, and they were maintained there for 24 hours. And the primary outcome of that study was good neurologic outcome within six months, and it occurred in 55% of the hypothermia group and 39% of the normothermic group. So that translates to a pretty impressive number needed to treat of six. And the six-month mortality was also improved in the hypothermia group, giving a number needed to treat of seven. Now, some key issues with this study uh, were possible selection bias. They did stop the study early without a clear endpoint and a subjective outcome in the trial that was only partially blinded. Yeah, I always look at those outcomes and think unbelievable, and you can take that in either direction. Yeah, too good to be true, I think, would be a a skeptical view. The other study was the Bernard study. This is only 77 patients, again, an initial cardiac rhythm of ventricular fibrillation who had ROSC and were still comatose. This was not actually a randomized trial, but it was based on the day of the week, and this was also not a blinded trial. The primary outcome for that study was patients with neurologic function good enough to be sent home or to a rehab facility. And that occurred in 49% of the hypothermia group and 26% of the normothermia group. And that gives you a p-value of 0.046. And we don't like to dichotomize on p-values and focus on p-values and things like that. But Justin, you actually plug these numbers in into a fragility index calculator, and you got a fragility index of zero, a nice round number, and a p-value of 0.06. It did give an impressive number needed to treat, though, of four for their primary outcome of good neurologic function. And the NNT for mortality was also impressive, six, but it was not statistically significant. Yeah, and those are some uh, pretty clinically important outcomes potentially, but the, the question is, were these real outcomes? And basically after these trials, thera- therapeutic, we can put that in quotes again, therapeutic hypothermia was introduced into clinical practice, but these are two small trials with multiple sources of bias. Now, since 2002, we've seen several larger trials that have raised some questions about the value of hypothermia. Yeah. And before we get into that, after this 2002, there was some Early adopters, uh, places became cooling centers of excellence. I used to make the joke that in Canada, if somebody had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, they they were already cooled. We just rolled down the windows as the EMS unit arrived. But uh, they, they had all these fancy devices, whether you cooled the whole body or they had these special helmets come out. And then there were these centers of excellence when it came to cooling. Yeah, we could get really philosophical here. I think it's reasonable while you're waiting for that big follow-up study when you have it neurologically intact survival to do something. But is it reasonable to invest hundreds of millions of dollars to completely transform the healthcare system? That, I think, is a bigger question. I always get a little mm, renaissant when they start putting quality indicators based on small studies that had a number of biases and say, thou shalt do this and get with the guidelines and check the box off. Did you cool them or not? And that was a quality indicator. So, But we've covered the issue of cooling 
patients post out of hospital cardiac arrest several times on the SGEM, including the original targeted temperature management or TTM trial back on SGEM 82. Now, TTM was a multi-center randomized control trial from 36 intensive care units in Europe and Australia. And they enrolled close to a thousand adult comatose patients who on arrival to hospital after an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, regardless of the presenting rhythm. Now, patients had their temperature controlled, but they were randomized into controlling it down to 33 degrees Celsius or 36 degrees Celsius. So both groups had this hypothermia treatment. Now, the result was there was no statistical difference between the two groups in mortality, cerebral performance category, or modified Rankin score scale, or even mortality at six months. Now, the next big trial, cleverly named after TTM, we got TTM number two. Sounds good. And it was covered on the SGM episode number 336. It's another big multi-center RCT. And this time, hypothermia was compared to normothermia. So the goal here was keeping temperatures less than 37.5 degrees Celsius. And once again, no statistical difference in outcomes between the two groups, including all-cause mortality and neurologic outcomes at six months. Now, Justin, on the other hand, there was the Hyperion trial, which was covered on SGEM number uh, 275. And this was a randomized control trial. But what was different is they included both out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients, 73% of the population, and in-hospital cardiac arrest patients, 27% of the cohort. The trial compared hypothermia, which was 33 degrees, to normothermia. And in that trial, there was a statistical significant improvement for their primary outcome of neurologically intact survival. It was 10% versus 6% for the TTM part of the targeted temperature management versus usual care. And so that gave you an absolute difference of 4.5 with a number needed to treat of 22. Now, the fragility index, which we've discussed before on the SGEM, was 1 and the trial was unblinded. So that left us with some significant uncertainty. Now, quote-unquote therapeutic hypothermia has also been trialed in the pre-hospital environment with the idea the earlier the better, and it has not been found to be superior to usual care. There's multiple SGEM episodes on that, including number 21 and 54. So Overall, there remains significant uncertainty about the value of hypothermia after cardiac arrest, especially in the inpatient environment, where patients do generally have better outcome than in the out-of-hospital cardiac arrest that we usually see in the emergency department. All right, that was a lot of background information, bringing people up to speed on this idea of hypothermia as being a therapeutic intervention. And I did notice that you dropped that in the last paragraph, that word therapeutic. So what's the clinical question? So does hypothermia improve all-cause mortality in adult patients who remain comatose after an inpatient cardiac arrest? And the reference for this, Justin? So this is Wolfram. It's the temperature control after in-hospital cardiac arrest, a randomized control trial in circulation September 2022, which is not quite as hot off the press as our usual episodes can, but it's, it's not bad. And, you know, we're doing a cooling paper, so it has to be a little cooler than the hot off the press. Let's go through the PCOT. What was the population? 
So these are adult patients who remained unconscious, defined as a GCS less than nine, more than 45 minutes after their inpatient cardiac arrest, and they were eligible irrespective of their initial cardiac rhythm or the etiology of the arrest. Now, there were some exclusions, and the full uh, exclusions can only be found in the supplemental appendix and include things like active bleeding, suspected intracranial bleeding, immunodeficiency, severe heart rhythm disorders, known severe cognitive deficits, pregnancy, any condition that makes six months survival unlikely, so that's subjective, and major hemodynamic instability. What was the intervention? So temperature control with a target between 32 and 34 degrees Celsius for 24 hours, followed by a slow rewarming. So that was considered the therapy. What was the comparison group? So again, temperature control, but with a target of normothermia. There was no specific protocol here. It was just strongly recommended to avoid temperatures greater than 37.5 degrees. All right, let's run through their outcomes. What was their primary outcome? A good primary outcome of all-cause mortality at 180 days. Yeah, pretty objective and patient-centered. How about their secondary outcomes? So they also looked at in-hospital mortality and then favorable neurologic or functional outcome after 180 days using the cerebral performance category score uh, less than three. And what type of study is this? This is a big uh, multi-center open-label blinded outcome assessor randomized control trial, if you know what all those words mean, Ken. (laughs) All right. So for the author's conclusions, it was, quote, hypothermic temperature control as compared with normothermia did not improve survival nor functional outcome at day 180 in patients presenting with coma after an in-hospital cardiac arrest. The hypothermia after in-hospital cardiac arrest trial was underpowered and may have failed to detect clinically important differences between hypothermic temperature control and normothermia, end of quote. All right, let's quickly run through the quality checklist for RCTs. The first one is, are we talking about emergency patients here? So no, but to be fair, this was an inpatient study. And the patients, were they adequately randomized? Yes, they were. The randomization process, was it concealed? Uh, Yes, it was. And the patients, were they analyzed into the groups to which they were randomized? In other words, intention to treat analyses. Yes, they were. And did they recruit patients consecutively? I'll say unsure. It was a consecutive sample, but with pretty extensive exclusion criteria, some of which were subjective, which would therefore allow for selection bias. The patients in both groups, were they similar with respect to prognostic factors? So no, I think there were some imbalances that could matter. So for example, in the hypothermia group, uh, 6% fewer patients had uh, ventricular fibrillation as the cause of their arrest, and 7% fewer had received defibrillation, which is one of the markers of good outcomes after cardiac arrest. Uh, Question number seven, all participants, were they unaware of group allocation? So no, although they did blind the researchers analyzing the data, the clinicians caring for the patients, the patients and their family were not blinded as it would be almost impossible to do that. And did they treat everyone equally except for the intervention? So again, we'll say unsure because when the groups are unblinded, there are there is the potential that important decisions such as the decision when to withdraw life support, um, are, they're being left to the treating physician. And so groups might have received different care. And uh, was the follow-up complete? Yeah, so they lost four patients, but have follow-up data on the other 238. Do you think that all patient-important outcomes were considered? Yeah, I think mortality and neurologic intact survival are what we care about. 
So let's talk about the treatment effect. Was it large enough and precise enough to be clinically significant? So I, I think it's a clinically significant result to know about, but no, they did not find a statistical difference between the two groups. And the 12th and final question, how about um, any conflicts of interest? So this was an independently funded trial, but they do list multiple various conflicts of interest for various authors on the trial at the end of the manuscript. All right, let's get into the results. Of over a thousand patients assessed for eligibility, 249 were randomized and 238 were included in the final analysis. The mean age of the cohort was 73 years, 64% were male, 54% were on the medical ward, and 73% had a witnessed arrest. What was the key result? So there was no statistical difference in all-cause mortality at six months. Yeah, so that was the primary outcome of all-cause mortality at 180 days. What were the actual numbers for that? Mortality was 72.5% with hypothermia and 71.2% with normothermia, which are obviously almost identical numbers, a p-value of 0.89, if that's a number you care about, Ken. All right. How about the secondary outcomes? There was also no statistical difference in in in-hospital mortality or in favorable functional outcome at 180 days. ICU length of stay and hospital length of stay were also statistically insignificant. Okay, Justin, let's talk nerdy. We've got more than five points. Oh, how did this happen? I just couldn't cut it down to five this time. All right, so I'll start with the first one. This is about the lack of blinding. We mentioned that earlier. It would be super hard to blind everybody in this type of trial. But the lack of blinding, we have to recognize, could potentially have a significant impact on the results. In a modern intensive care unit, decisions about life and death are contingent on the choices of physicians and the way we as physicians present prognosis to patients and their families. So if the clinician had beliefs about the efficacy of hypothermia, that might have shaped their clinical decision and how they counseled patients and their families. And that could have biased even a seemingly objective outcome like all-cause mortality. So our second nerdy point is about the fact that this is a small study and it was stopped early. And in fact, in the author's conclusions, they said that this trial was underpowered and that was a a problem. I guess the question is why and whose fault is it that is underpowered? So this trial was supposed to include 440 patients based on their sample size, but they only included 249. The trial was stopped early for you for futility, but there weren't actually any of those predetermined criteria to help make that decision. So the result is about a study half the size of what they originally calculated. And their original calculations were based on the idea that they were going to find a 16% absolute decrease in all-cause mortality. So even without stopping this trial early, my guess is that this was going to be underpowered because a 16% absolute decrease in all-cause mortality is just completely unheard of as a benefit in modern critical care. So designing a trial with that goal in mind seems overly optimistic. Now, to be fair to the researchers, that was the benefit supposedly seen in the original HACA trial, but I still think realistically it's too optimistic when you're designing your trial. Yeah, that is a big delta to go for, right? And again, it gets back to maybe that 16% absolute decrease in all-cause mortality. Maybe that was just too good to be true. 
All right. The third nerdy point was about imbalanced groups. And this could have occurred because this study was stopped early. Data is lumpy. It's clumpy. It's not just some smooth thing, you know, one-to-one, one-to-one, one-to-one. It gets a little clumpy and messy. And so maybe that's why the groups weren't um, balanced at baseline. But there were imbalances at baseline, and you can always adjust for these afterwards. Uh, the hypothermia group had fewer patients with shockable rhythms, and we know that having a shockable rhythm is probably one of the most important prognostic factors in cardiac arrest. So the imbalance in the group had a potential bias for the outcomes that we observed. So our nerdy point number four is about selection bias and generalizability. And this is really common when you look at an efficacy trial rather than a pragmatic trial. But this trial excluded far more patients than it included. So out of 1,055 patients screened, they enrolled 249 and include 238 in their final analysis, so less than a quarter. And that means that the results may not generalize to the average patient that you're seeing that might look more like that 1,000 they started with. And there's also some somewhat subjective exclusion criteria. And so the fact that they only included about a quarter of patients does raise some concerns for potential selection bias. All right. The fifth and final point for me, because I'm not going to go past five. You'll have to do the sixth one, Justin. I just can't count past five. Um, They were slow to the target temperature. So if you believe that hypothermia is helping patients with cardiac arrest, it makes sense then to get their targeted temperature down as soon as possible. And in this trial, they failed to reach that targeted temperature in the hypothermia group more than a quarter of the time. So 28% of the patients, the mean temperature at 12 hours was 34 degrees, which could bias against the treatment group. On the other hand, we have multiple trials of cooling people in the pre-hospital setting showing no benefit. So maybe the time to cooling is not such an important factor. And remember, the burden of proof is on those claiming that therapeutic temperature management has a patient-oriented outcome of benefit, and it's not on others to prove that it doesn't work. So I'm really sorry to go over five nerdy points, but this six point time to publication, I think is really important for people trying to understand the medical literature as a whole. This trial took a surprisingly long time to get published. The last patient was enrolled in May of 2014, nine years ago. Even with the 180 days that follow up that was required here, that just seems like a crazy amount of time to get this published. And so I wonder whether this is an example of the publication bias that occurs with negative results. Just as a comparison, the original HACA trial, the last patient was enrolled in 2001. That paper was published in February of 2002. Boom. One year, right away with a positive trial, nine years later with a negative trial. So and I think so not only does that is that important when you're considering other research, I could bring up Paxlovid, where the one positive trial came out like that. We know another trial was done, was stopped early, and we still don't have have the results. So I think it's important for understanding all the literature we look at. But the other thing to consider is that these patients were enrolled between 2007 and 2014. Cardiac arrest care has changed a lot in the 
15 years since this happened, including things like neuroprognostication. So the, again, the results may not apply perfectly to the patients you're looking after in 2023. All right. I grant you that one extra nerdy point because it was a good one. All right. Now time to comment on the author's conclusions and compare them to the SGEMS conclusions. So we agree that hypothermia did not improve survival or functional outcomes at day 180 in patients presenting with coma after in-hospital cardiac arrest. Despite the many shortcomings of this trial, it is important uh, data as the bulk of the prior research on hypothermia had focused on out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. All right. How about giving us an SGEM bottom line, Justin? So there are many priorities when you're trying to manage that post-arrest patient. For now, the best available evidence seems to suggest that hypothermia is not one of your priorities and that we should just aim to keep our patients in the normal thermic range. And can you resolve the case that you presented of the in-hospital cardiac arrest? Yeah, so you do not start a hypothermic protocol on this patient, and you are thrilled when you return a day later to find the patient sitting up in bed and talking to his family. You make a note to specifically thank his nurse for rapidly initiating CPR and defibrillation, which is what probably saved this patient's brain and life. And so how are you going to take this new trial and apply it clinically? So although there is remaining uncertainty, the trial does add to the body of research that suggests there's nothing therapeutic about quote-unquote therapeutic hypothermia. We don't know if fever avoidance is important, but for now, the best advice is to target normal thermia in post-arrest patients. Yeah, I think, isn't Nielsen doing a TTM3? I believe TTM3 is the exact trial that we want, which is hypothermia versus no control, no temperature control at all, although they do not have the protocol in front of me. So it's, it's the let it ride. Yep. All right. So uh, what are you going to tell the patient? Well, okay, wait a minute. They've got a GCS less than nine. What are you going to tell the family? Yeah, so unfortunately, if this question arises, the patient is critically ill and comatose. But when talking to their family, I might say something along the lines of, in the past, you might have heard of something about cooling patients down, something called hypothermia. I know that it's been a lot on a lot of the medical show, shows, and it's often talked about as if it could save lives. The best available research that we have to date seems to suggest that hypothermia doesn't work. So instead, we're focusing all of our efforts on the other really important aspects of critical care that are essential to your loved one's survival. All right, time to announce the Keener Contest winner. And there wasn't a winner last episode. The question was, what year was dexamethasone first synthesized? And the answer was 1957. Well, I knew that one again. I should have asked. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> All right. How about a question for this week? And maybe somebody will get it right so they can get a cool skeptical prize. So we know that survival from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is pretty low. Low single digits. If you look at the paramedic three trial, it was 3%. Opals, it was 5%. So all we're asking this time is an approximate survival rate for in-hospital cardiac arrest. So if you know approximately what the survival rate is for in-hospital cardiac arrest, then send an email to the sgem at gmail.com with Keener in the subject line, and the first correct answer will receive a cool, oh, get it? Therapeutic hypothermia, a cool skeptical prize. Maybe I'll have to make it a normothermic skeptical prize this time. 
Thanks, Justin. And um, next time we will be talking about something that is hot off the press. Yeah, I think we've got to crank that temperature up. I think we get to do back-to-back months recording together. I'm super excited about it. All right. Until then, can you give the SGM tagline? Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Talk to everyone next time.